My name is Kabelo Mekwa, I'm a radio producer and will be a facilitator throughout the day today on various sessions. Um, our next speaker is Nick Grubb, who will be uh, addressing the subject matter, who are our real competitors. He's the CEO of Kahisho Media Radio, which is uh, a very substantial radio group here in South Africa, um, owning fantastic assets like East Coast Radio and Jacaranda FM. Um, during the um, Radio uh, Days Africa conference, there's been great mention on competitors when it comes to radio in particular, um, including disruptors um, of new technology, um, as well as traditional media as well, like television, where, which is still a major competitor um, in print media and so on. Um, and I remember a time, and I'll be extremely very brief, I promise, but I remember a time, very vaguely so, where radio in South Africa in particular couldn't kind of work out how to incorporate social media um, in terms of how to monetize it in particular. But over time, I believe we found a way to bring in revenue through it, which is, which is great. And I believe in particular, you have a three-tier solution on how you believe a convergence of solutions, including um, commercial, regulatory, and, other and another reason on how we can be more effective in this period. Right? Okay. Let's welcome Nick Grubb. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kabela. Um, I'm hoping to make this morning relatively informal. I think the, I'm probably not going to say anything that you guys don't already know um, or haven't been thinking about or you know, haven't. Uh, so, so I'm going to point some things out to you that, that I guess are, are not going to be new points. But to Omar's point earlier, we only ever seem to collaborate properly when we have a sense of impending panic and doom. Um, so perhaps maybe what I can start this morning is a conversation around some of that panic and doom that we should be feeling um, in order to rally us uh, into some sort of action from an industry point of view. So as I said, my name's Nick and I, I'm, I'm the, uh, effectively I have two ways to do my job um, as, a, as, as somebody who's leading a radio group. I either need to increase pieces of the pie so that we have more opportunities to, to make money out of this wonderful medium which, given the regulatory landscape in South Africa, is difficult. Or I need to look at ways to make that pie bigger. It's the only way that I can deliver growth to my shareholders. So, so, so hence my um, absolute obsession with getting industry conversations started that are going to start to drive um, radio's rightful place in the media mix um, in, a, in a more aggressive way. Um, the soccer themes, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't give two hoots about soccer ever in my life until the World Cup comes, and then I'm obsessed for like six weeks. It's all I think about, right? So, so, so every analogy that I have at the moment seems to be a, a soccer one. And where would we be if, if we weren't talking about radio without a cheesy Buggles quote? Um, okay, and, and I'm not going to go through them, but I, I think safe to say that we are under more, more pressure than we've ever been as a medium. Um, this is unlikely to, to slow down. We're going to, if we, the competitors we have today are unlikely to be our competitors in five to ten years' time. Um, we've already seen com competing in the ad space, the big uh, behemoths, as they, as they were described earlier, of, uh, of Facebook and Google, taking more and more and more ad revenue out of the, not only out of the, uh, off the table of South African operators, but out of the country in a non-taxable way. Um, so we're actually seeing a, a leaking of our advertising revenue um, uh, in, into other areas. 
and and uh, and we've also seen quite a lot of movement within the the, the other traditional media spaces that's uh, that's starting to to eat our lunch. The other thing that's happened in the radio industry generally, and I'm sure all of you who work um, in stations will will agree. As shareholders, it's 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 important that that they are trying to derive value out of the growth of the medium, and in doing so, there's an obsession around our margins. And, and you have a couple of slowdowns in, in, in revenue, and suddenly we are freezing positions, suddenly we're cutting uh, budgets, and in radio there are only really two major cost centers, and those are people and transmission. Once you've cut all your people and, and got your transmission infrastructure as tight as possible, the only other thing we can do is shave those very thin budgets around marketing and programming. Manisha will, will attest to the fact that, that that's what we do so often. And so what we do is, compound this year after year in an industry where we're actually, even on a station level, never mind an industry level, we're just not out there in people's faces. Um, Omar made the point about Spotify. I think it's, it's absolutely true. You know, it, it, it's an offense that Spotify is more visible um, on the streets of, of, of Johannesburg than our own radio stations. And, and these are things that, that, as an industry, we need to counter. I say this today, obviously, in a budget meeting on Monday. It's going to be a totally different story, but you know, you know how it goes. I think you've all seen the numbers, and this is a real mouthful, but I just want to pick, out, pick on a couple of things. And that is, you look at the compound growth rate of internet. These are PwC figures, by the way, which means that everything post that they say is forecast, you can drop by a couple of percent. Because it's, it's traditionally quite inaccurate. It always overinflates projections. But, but this is historical data from 2016 backwards. And, and in fact, if you add the, the actuals from 2017, the radio industry grew at 2%, not the 3.4 that was predicted. So, but if you look back to, to 2012 and 2013, that 11.4 and 15% growth within the radio industry, driven entirely, almost exclusively, by bank wars. Remember Steve, the Steve campaign. Now, now if, we, if we think about the genesis of that Steve campaign, that, that affected radio's growth rates incredibly. All of us, everybody in this room, whether you're SABC, um, uh, commercial community, I think, benefited from the money that started to flow into the radio industry. I, I have yet to see any proof to the contrary, but it is my understanding that there was not one single radio person in that conversation. We were kind of lucky because one of the guys in the FNB team, I think, had been previously at a sales house um, and had a passion for radio. And so he understood the value, the inherent value of that medium. But we were lucky. That is a lucky number. Because they took all of this money from the FNB advertising budget, which then sparked, of course, the, the reciprocal campaigns from, um, from other banks, which is what boosted all these numbers. And this all happened in a room in which there were no radio representatives. They decided to, to use radio as an exclusive vehicle to drive, uh, to drive growth. So what does that tell us? Well, it, mean, it tells us that actually radio has the, the, the ability to, to catch massive waves of revenue when advertisers decide to invest heavily in radio as their principal media of communication. But we can't leave it up to chance. We can't, we can't leave it to fate and fortune. We actually need to influence those conversations at the genesis of those conversations as an industry. Because if we don't, then we either won't co collect those waves or other mediums will collect them more and more regularly. Um, I, I think the other thing to note, and again, it, it's, it's, it's a lot to digest, but the money that's going out of print, because it is, it's flowing out of print, it's going into digital and it's going to television. And it's not going to radio. So on the upside, radio has is, is maintained a relatively consistent share 
of advertising spend in South Africa. But given that advertising spend is not growing, um, you know, that, that outflow from, from print is going into, into television and it's going into, into digital. And, and what this is creating, apart from outflow from money that should rightfully uh, go towards radio campaigns, is it's creating an ever-increasing fragmentation. And, and I think that the paradigm has shifted for those of us who are involved in traditional uh, radio and traditional media 15, 20 years ago, um, as my gray hair might denote. Um, you know, we, we, in, back in those days, we had all the power. And we were able, there was, there was fragmentation amongst media buying, and there was consolidation around traditional media houses that held the monopoly over audiences. And so, in simple terms, if an advertiser needed to reach somebody sitting in Brits with an income of X to Y, the only gateway to get to those people was to go to the three or four media types that were available to those people. And, and, and consequently, those people who held those audiences and the domination of those audiences in radio and television um, were able to sit back in their cigar-filled rooms and charge exorbitant rates um, and, and basically gouge the advertising industry as much as possible because they had a monopoly and exclusivity over those audiences. Um, what they were also able to do, let me also not be cynical about traditional media operators in those days, they were also able then to invest heavily into editorial structures, into marketing, into all of the support services that have made media so strong over the years. And, and, and so, you know, this line between editorial integrity and commercial independence, that was, that was facilitated because there was actually quite a lot of money to go around and they had the luxury of being able to make those kind of calls. As the paradigm has, swi has switched it, it precisely in the opposite direction, we've got massive fragmentation about media uh, of media types, and we've got consolidation over buying houses. Now they have all the power. Now they're sitting in their, maybe not cigar-filled rooms, but they're sitting in their vape-filled rooms, and, 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 uh, and, and they're the guys kind of basically you know, taking, taking approaches from a variety of different media houses who are now competing with each other to undermine each other on a cost basis and to scramble for attention and what's that, what that has done is it, it's meant that all media types have started to cut all of their budgets and all of these so-called luxuries like the editorial and, and, and integrity and, uh, and, and commercial lines have started to dissolve more and more and more over time. And we are really facing what we are facing at the moment, which is that uh, social dynamics like social media and so on are actually negatively influencing societal development because all, all it is doing is it's moving consumption of media from a need to know from, a, from, from where there are gatekeepers who are able to curate messages for good and bad, as history has shown us, but it's moved to a, to a media situation where people can spend their entire lives consuming only that information that they want to know. And, and, this is, and then, not only that, but they're going to start getting their own worldview reflected back at them through social media, and so they start to think that this is normal. And the next thing, they're marching through Charlottesville in, in, with white capes and... Uh, Anyway, I digress. I'm <laughs> but but I, I think what's important to understand is that the, the commercial... Di I, I don't stand here only, because I do obviously also. I stand here as, a, as an operator of commercial radio stations, and we want to grow our share because we want to grow uh, the, the, our, our businesses on the part of our shareholders. But I think we also need to understand that it's through cooperation and consolidation of media activity that's also going to, to make sure that we are doing more constructive input into the society and context in which we operate. And I think in a South African situation, that's increasingly important. So I've made the point already that, that no media monopolizes audience anymore. Even if Jacaranda, for the sake of argument, has a you know, million QM audience, 
um, across Johannesburg and Pretoria. See the plug there. Um, it, it, we, don't have we don't have monopoly over those audiences anymore because that advertiser can now decide, well, I can get a part of them through another radio station. Can I, can't I? Well, we can show exclusive listening, so, so maybe not so much. But they can get them through a DSTV buy or they can get them through Facebook. There's, there's many alternative routes to, that, to those same audiences at different price points that present different contexts which might present more opportunities for their brand. So, so, so the competition is, is, uh, is, it just has just escalated exponentially. It, we all know that everyone's budget needs to work harder for the same reasons that I've already articulated. Um, increasingly, we're finding that marketing conversations are, around, are, are procurement conversations. Some big brands have actually moved their marketing function into a procurement department, which is, uh, I mean, like uh, Huawei came into the South African market as a, as a procurement department, not marketing. And, and, and the difference, and, and some brands haven't made that transition, but they still behave like marketing is, a, is procurement. It's not, it's not actually about building anything, uh, building brands. And what that does is it means that all they want to see is a quantifiable ROI. And if we can't show them a quantifiable ROI, then they'll go somewhere else where, 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 where they'll have it. Because ultimately, people are fearful for their jobs. Um, we, in, a, in a recessionary environment, people start to become um, more and more uh, uh, obsessed with justifying the decisions that they're making. And, and in order to, to, to do that, uh, ultimately, we have to make them look like rock stars. We have to make somebody at Unilever look like they are th they're a rock star to their boss by having bought a radio buy. And to do that, you need to provide them with lots of validation of their decision to buy and then collateral afterwards that's got, that they can then cut and paste into presentations and show up the line. So, so this fear and uncertainty is, uh, is, is creating this, this need for for more and more data, because data is the antidote to that uncertainty. Sometimes it's bullshit, let's, let's be honest. Sometimes we make it up. Sometimes uh, radio stations bluff and bluster. Sometimes we run uh, ostensibly credible research surveys of very, very tenuous samples, and we extrapolate great conclusions out of it. But at least it's data that can justify a gut feel. And in terms of justifying the gut feel, it, it can then validate a sale. And then Let's hope it works. I think we have enough belief in radio as a medium to know that in most instances it does. Um, and when it works, then, then everyone's happy. But we need to fill the vacuum, the data vacuum currently, in order to validate and justify those sales. In all of the engagements that we have with advertisers, there are a couple of key truths around what it is that advertisers are looking for, and particularly when they're buying radio. And you know, much as I agree with, uh, with the argument that, and having come from radio stations that haven't always had reach, it's been something that I've been obsessed about my whole career around the fact that it's quality of audience. You know, like Lance was saying in the earlier session, it's, it's, it's the results that you achieve out of a campaign and so on. But reach will always be an issue. Because, I mean, if we stratify our, our customers at MediaMark, for example, who are our sales, our sales house, roughly 40% of our advertisers are those advertisers who we have a relationship with so that we can influence them around the context, the quality of our audience. They've got a track record of a relationship with us that, where they're comfortable with the results that they've achieved, where the numbers don't matter so much. But there's about 60% of those, of those audiences who we call the silent customers who are effectively just looking at data through Telmar and making decisions. You're either on the schedule if you pop up or you're not on the schedule. And in those circumstances, reach will always be a thing. So if this was a room full of advertisers, I'd be, I'd be uh, saying that it's not important. Um, but I think to us as radio people, we need to recognize that the more we grow 
cumulative audiences and the more concurrent listeners you have in every quarter hour, the better your radio station will do. So, so we can't discount it as a factor. Cost per point and cost per thousand, the difference is technical in terms of what those two things are. And for those of, of you who know, I don't, I'm not going to butcher it by giving you my own uh, um, explanation, but it's effectively the price point at which you can reach the, the people that you're targeting in any given campaign. And again, it's based on reach. It's a reach versus cost ratio. The exclusivity and contextual suitability is also something that we emphasize, and it's, it's critical, critical for campaigns. Um, uh, Joan was telling us earlier this morning um, in, in a coffee break that, that there's been a study in, in, in Australia, perhaps she can elaborate a, a little bit later, around the context in which an ad appears and the ability of audiences to engage or disengage with that ad message, depending on the presenter link or the song that happened either before, uh, just before the, the placement of that ad. So understanding those things is more and more important. And obviously we understand that sponsorships are usually tacked around uh, subject matter that has some sort of relevance to that brand. So that contextual suitability is always there. Successful relationships, um, as much as we're a data-driven business um, and marketing is becoming increasingly data-driven, we can't underestimate the value of the relationships that we have with our clients and our, and our uh, uh, direct brands. And so as an industry, we need to understand that we can still influence sales against, sometimes in, uh, in contravention of what the data tells them, if we have a relationship of trust um, with a client. And that's something that we always need to look at. But ultimately, it comes down to results. If I, as a client, spend X and I get uh, X plus Y back as a return, then I'm always going to go back and I'm going to use that because it's, a, it's an arbitrage model. It's easy. It's, uh, it makes sense to, to justify the sell. So, and, and I think that actually as an industry, we are horrendous at demonstrating results. Um, my team will know that I keep banging on about case studies all the time. And I think we do build up, we have built up a certain amount of case studies, but we're also then, even when we have them, we're not particularly good at individual station level or at an industry level and in resonating those case studies and making sure that everybody knows about them. Um, and and so, so what we have effectively is a, is a whole lot of, of uh, post-campaign analysis sheets that we're just doing nothing with. And it's ultimately that can be the most compelling message for clients. Because ultimately campaigns do come to radio when they're creative, when they're contextually appropriate, when they address the appropriate market across relevant platforms, and ultimately to create an action. And this has been the shift that we've seen in the last 10 years, is that we no longer sell inventory, we're no longer purveyors of inventory, we're purveyors of some sort of result or perceived result on the part of advertisers. And we need to get uh, much, much more scientific around how we justify what that result is. So what I've done here is a kind of, it's, it, this is a largely opinion-based, but I've tried to plot what are the key data points that are, that are important in any radio market and who's providing those data points currently. And, uh, and I, I hope that it, it proves the, the, the points that I've been trying to make uh, visually. So basically, as, a, as an industry, this is the South African radio industry, we have come together and we've created currency. And as, as was stated in the sessions before, the currency is the bedrock because it is our reach and let's not discount reach as one of the factors um, in, in terms of being able to successfully sell. We recently bought some stations in Ghana and I think that, from my side, totally underestimated the impact or the difficulty of running radio stations in an environment in which there's no consistent industry-accepted currency. Because the Ipsos report that's available in Accra would tell us that our stations were in the top 10, 
And the Markinor st uh, study or the Geopol study would tell us that we weren't even the, in, the, in the top 20. And obviously, depending on which study the agency used, which was privately funded and supplied by a researcher, that would depend on your fortunes in that market. That, so, you know, the BRC may not be perfect. It may need some, some, some tweaks and, and, and amendments. But, I, you know, I come back from markets like, like Ghana incredibly um, grateful for the level and sophistication of our industry currency that we have in South Africa. So we mustn't underestimate it. You know, the rest of the world obviously provides currency data, um, as do we. Um, researchers also then augment that currency data through other, through other um, qualitative or quantitative things that they can then provide on sale to customers. Agencies increasingly are providing their own data to, to customers. And in fact, what you'll see here is in, in almost every respect, agencies are seeing this as their new business model. It used to be around planning and, uh, and ease of access. It used to be around facilitation of creative. More and more and more agencies are starting to fill a data void by commissioning their own proprietary um, uh, software and data and planning tools that, that, that draw from a number of, of points, not least of which their own campaigns, and, and start to do the job that we as an industry should be doing. So more on that later. Research around the efficacy of our medium is done sometimes, you know, Omar alluded to earlier about a, a study that was done at, at Prime Media, obviously at Kahisa, we've done studies that show um, where, where radio has been effective and we try and trade on those things. It has use, certainly to us as programmers, it has limited use when we're pitching to clients because again, it's seen as, it's seen as proprietorial information, so it's seen as being influenced by the, by the agenda of that particular media house. So it has a limited efficacy. The rest of the world, and I'll, I'll show you some examples if we have time a little bit later, does quite a lot. And when I say rest of the world, my disclaimer is that I'm talking about much more developed markets. And, and, and certainly um, I'm referencing uh, the US, Australia, UK, and various other markets. But there's, there's a body of evidence to show radio's efficacy, um, how the return on investment is actually quantified down to for every dollar spent you get. And I've seen various studies that show radio either has a six a six, six pound to one pound spent return. And in the US, I, I saw a study that said $12 for every dollar spent. And it's those kind of efficacy studies that create a really strong narrative for radio as a medium. And, so, and, and there's lots of evidences, uh, evidence of that if you Google it. But obviously, we can't apply those studies into a South African context because between those markets, there's variance. And we can't just borrow that data for our own presentations. We need a South African um, story to tell. Researchers are providing that. Again, you know, uh, Dentsu Aegis, um, all of these uh, planning guys are starting to track the efficacy of their own campaigns because they can see how much they spent and what the result is in terms of product sales for their clients. And so they're starting to, to join the dots in the middle. What they're missing is what was the impact? Is the product actually strong and compelling? Was the creative great? Um, was it properly planned and applied across the right mediums? Because obviously they'll claim that all of those things were top-notch. And, and, and the, the results or otherwise of, of the campaign is going to be entirely attributed to the performance of the medium, not the performance of the campaign, which obviously can be incredibly harmful to us as an industry if we let them join those dots without participating in that narrative. The campaign data is, what I, is, is also what I'm talking about in terms of taking actual results from campaigns. Now, radio stations are doing it to a point, but where we're finding pushback from clients is that often they don't want to, either A, they don't want to give us the data in terms of how their products have shifted, or B, they've, they've actually done a spray and pray across a variety of mediums and they can't actually attribute the results of the campaign specifically 
to our participation in it. So, so, so on that basis, they're, they're reluctant to share it with us. So we get an incomplete picture in terms of the results of campaigns. It shouldn't stop us trying, though. And I think, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a project running at MediaMark that we started, and uh, it's got a snappy title of the Big Ass Spreadsheet Project. Um, where, where, you know, and having been a radio programmer, I'm also, I'm guilty of being that guy who sat in front of a client saying, I know radio, I know what works on radio. This is, this is what audiences respond to. And then, you know, you're either right or wrong at the end of it. Um, hopefully you're right. But even if you're right, um, the only way that you can validate that, that, that opinion is you've got a happy DJ who ran a promotion that they liked. You've got a happy listener who, got a, you know, who participated in the promotion and seemed to enjoy it. And the client was happy. Ultimately, we don't go back three or four months later to see, did it actually work? Um, do they, as clients, go back to check if it actually works? And are we building up the data points so that we know, typically when we spend X, do this amount of pre-promotion with these kind of prizes, over 200 promotions run in a year, we should start to, at that point, start to see some correlation. And, and it's not just about the gut feel of the programmer who either is or isn't. Um, uh, confident about the information that he's giving to his client. But in the South African industry context, there's, we, we started with the RAB putting up some case studies, um, which effectively campaign data is. But again, the RAB fell away. We have no consolidated industry um, uh, portal to even upload the, the case studies that we're doing on a station level. But there are incredible examples in Australia, they've got, they've got a, a really good site that, that consolidates a lot of those things. Um, and and any, any, any other developed market in the world, you'll see that there are those kind of aggregation points. Um, agencies, of course, will, will build those, those uh, case studies. And for reasons I've already mentioned, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll miss the, the picture in terms of how effective the, the call to action was around that, that campaign. Um, education and support in terms of training and educating media planners on how to use the currency even. Um, so MediaMark started a thing called In the Know, where we actually engage with, um, with, with customers, but it's, it's effectively um, still going to be perceived as exclusive to one particular sales house. You know, there's no, there's no help desk, there's no um, beyond the BRC going around talking around the data, there's nobody talking around how to use the data effectively to make radio more impactful. At least there isn't any more since the disbandment of the RAB. And then general marketing around radio's presence. We, we did a Yellowwood study when the RAB was still in existence about six years ago. And that Yellowwood study showed that one of the biggest themes that came back from, from brand owners and advertisers and our, and our uh, commercial markets was that radio has lost its big brand feel. It used, if you remember uh, Johannesburg many years ago when 702 used to have those billboards all over, uh, all over Joburg, they were iconic. It was kind of... It was a consistent and regular, iconic part of Johannesburg to have those clever billboards um, that, that used to, you know, with the black and white and the red logo um, all around uh, Joburg. And what that did was it built up this, this uh, feeling of radio being, being Hollywood. And we've lost it. Because when we advertise, and we do advertise, and we do market, but we do it around activations, that they're, and then we try, and ex ex you know, we, we try and explode the reach through social media and all of these very good things which we must continue to do. But we lose that, that gloss because it's difficult to quantify the ROI on a TV ad or a billboard. But what it does perceptually is it starts to create um, an understanding of the medium on a, on a big brand level. So I think it's something that we, should, that we should bring back. And ultimately, as you can see, I guess the picture that you're starting to see is that 
in other markets, there is this activity that's happening, but there's just since the disbandment of the RAB, there's just nothing in this whole area around the efficacy of our campaigns, around case studies around campaigns that have worked and why they've worked, around helping the agencies understand and interpret this information in a way that benefits them and their clients, and around markets, radio as a big brand. And just to, to create some of the fear and panic, I googled camp radio campaign efficacy in South Africa, and this was top of the search rankings after a couple of mishits. Um, you won't be able to read this really well, but this is a blogger, I think, or an SEO specialist, I think. Um, and this is a, an authoritative look at, at the radio market in South Africa, which says Akwazi FM is 5 million listeners, Metro is 8 million listeners, congratulations. Amphlobo um, is 6 million, Lesedi 4 million, Moswading 1 million, Tobela 3 million, Jacaranda 2, Kaya FM 8 million, take a bow. Um, 5FM is 8 million, and RSG is 7 million. Uh, no attribution, no I think, by my estimation, no nothing. Um, and, and bless him, he goes into a, a, a whole narrative to help marketers understand how to plan radio. Lower down in this paragraph, it's great reading. And he says, he, he does warn marketers though, that some Morning shows in big markets charge as much as 2,000 rand for a 30-second spot. <laughs> I mean, I've never actually seen so much bullshit in my whole life. And, you know, I, I, I'm not here to diss him as an individual. I don't know who he is. It popped up. But this is what happens in a vacuum. If we're not providing this information, then other, we're leaving it to other people to suck it out of their thumbs. I honestly don't know where this guy got this information. I'd love to know. Um, and, it's, and, it, and it's an example, and I'm sure no, he doesn't get a lot of hits, despite being an SEO specialist. But, but it, is, it is a travesty that we as an industry don't have enough alignment to be able to populate this stuff so that when I Google search radio's efficacy, we don't have some of our own information that pops up. It, not, it's not even on the first page. There's just nothing. There's not even remnant information from when the RAB was active. Um, in the interest of time, I'm not going to go through these, but just a couple of snapshots. This is uh, uh, 2015, okay, a little bit older. This is, this is a, um, uh, an illustration of how it's radio's uh, uh, strongest. It's 17% more effective um, for single campaigns. Um, radio and online and, and the benefits. It's, you know, and they how statistically accurate is this? I don't know. How... How, um, how impressive does it look? Extremely impressive. You know? Th these are the things that our salespeople should be putting in their slides um, and taking to, to advertisers to give them confidence around some of these sales. There's an evidence versus perception thing that I found on, uh, from an ubiquity study that was done in the UK um, that shows that ad advertisers perceive radio to be the sixth most important medium or effective medium, but actually it's the second most. You know, like these are powerful things in order to, to sway and influence those narratives. And perhaps a slide that, like this might convince the next bank war uh, uh, creative team to go, you know what, we're going to put our lot in with radio again because this is, this is what, what our, uh, our message deserves. And there's, there's other examples um, from the US and, and, and from, from other markets. So, so what's the conclusion of all of this? I, hopefully we have some sense of panic and understanding that 
that at the moment we have a vacuum and the guys like the rebrand guy are filling that vacuum with, with dirge and rubbish and it's easy for us because we're actually sitting on a bank of stuff. It's easy for us to start turning that tide. But what we need to do is we need to start to commission research projects. Uh, I was telling Stan in the break, we, there is actually, it's a classic example. There's, a, there's an econometric study that we were approached to, to do as, an, as a combined industry around radio efficacy to show the ROI rand for, per rand spent for various media types in South Africa. Obviously, we don't know what the results will be. We have a sense that it will be strong for radio. Radio, as you've seen in the, other, in the slide before, that doesn't even need to be number one. It just needs to be up there in order for us to have a great story to tell. We have the money from the RAB um, uh, closure that's still sitting in the account to pay for the study. We had a meeting of the industry where all of the major commercial players said, this is a great thing, we must do it. And that was a year ago. <laughs> we haven't had the actual person to say, okay, let's do it. You know, I'll do it. Um, and so what we've all done is really through a collective, and I blame myself as much in this process, through collective industry apathy, have left a great opportunity that's already funded on the table because we just haven't been bothered enough to get together and make it happen. So that must stop. We must start to get more serious about these industry activities and stop only coming together when we are litigating around needle time or, or um, uh, you know, ex exiting from SAF. Um, and there are a number of different partners that, that we can partner. So we can do an econometric study, we can do, you know, we've got to get over our politics. I every vendor or supplier will have a relationship with some, but we've just got to start to talk on a more uh, holistic level about what's good for the industry. We've got to start pooling our case study data. We've got our case study data. If we don't, then that's a travesty within your own organization. We need to start putting these stories up, even, and maybe some sort of industry template that shows radio's efficacy that we can start to populate as individual groups into one central website. Um, and maybe that's, from a Kahisa Media point of view, one of the things that we need to take forward to provide it, perhaps. But we need to all commit to contributing to it. Otherwise, if it's swayed in one direction, and you know what's going to happen, suddenly we're going to populate 20 case studies, and then somebody in another media group is going to go, oh, no, this is all Kahisa stuff. I don't want to get involved in that. And then, and then suddenly it starts to derail. So we've got to have a commitment to a contribution of X amount of case studies per month so that we can start to, to use this as collateral for our, our, our salespeople to take to market. And we've got to formalize industry engagement with agencies. We've, since the RAB disbanded, we haven't had a collective engagement with the guys who control our fortunes, many of whom, uh, with whom many of us don't even have a relationship. So, you know, let's do something. Let's do an event. Let's, let's do some sort of activation where we can show some sort of unity of purpose as radio broadcasters and engage with, with these people, even if it's socially to start with. Um, and then also, also, I think we need to, there's probably not a lot of salespeople in this, in this room, but we need to start holding our salespeople accountable for these, kind of, uh, uh, for these kind of initiatives. Because when it's left to the suits, we don't really follow through on some of these things. Ultimately, it's about getting collateral into presentations that our salespeople are taking to convince a client who's on the fence to use us as a medium first, and then, uh, and then us as a station second because that's increasingly the challenge. And then, I've made the point already, using structures that already exist, like the NAB, let's collaborate more, more proactively around those things that are not just regulatory focused. 
We, we've got a boardroom there. We've got, a, we've got an organization that already represents us from commercial to community to public service broadcasting. And, uh, and, and let's start putting other things on the agenda. Implied in that, and this is a plea from me also, is that we've got to, as media groups, start putting the most senior and the most empowered people into those forums. Because what happens is that people are either absent or they'll send proxies that, are, that, that don't have the history of the conversation and so they're really just there to take notes and feed back to their... To their I was that guy at the SABC. I used to suddenly get called, sent to go and attend an NAB meeting. And at the time, I was a program manager of one of the brands, right? I, I have no mandate to participate actively in a conversation that affects the industry when I'm that guy. So we've got to make sure that we've got people who are appropriately empowered. And if you like, seniorize the NAB such that we can make decisions in those meetings that are going to affect the futures of the industry. Um, it's always a hard thing when we're a small industry and we're all fighting for our share of the pie, but we've got to, in these conversations, get above our own personal agendas, our own personal commercial agendas, as valid as they may be, and start to look forward. At the moment, let's understand that the NAB is a consensus-driven organization. On the one hand, that's good, because it means that as a member, I know that the NAB is not going to go out and actively do something that's against my interests. But at the same time, sometimes what's against my interests as a, as a member of the NAB might be good for the industry. And, and we need to understand that the way the NAB is constructed, it can't ever go against the, the, the views or the approach of one of its members. So in those circumstances, there might be industry conversations where we might need to step outside of the NAB in order to progress them. So, so structurally, it's, a, it's, a, it's both an advantage, but it's also potentially a flaw in the way that we've built our industry dialogue. So that's something that we need to look at. And then, uh, Nadia mentioned it before, but radio is not the sexy medium anymore. It should be. You know, when I, when I started in radio, I was lucky enough to, to exit university just as South Africa started to, to um, uh, uh, unshackle its airwaves, and all of these commercial players started to come out literally in the, in the six months after I left university. So there was, an inf there was an opportunities galore, and it was a new industry, it was exciting, it was vibrant, and a lot of people left, left university, and it was the first door they knocked on. Those people are knocking on digital doors at the moment. We need to do the effort to attract them. Because sometimes the people knocking on our doors might not be the most compelling people, and we're a people industry, we speak to people. If we don't have compelling people behind the scenes, we're not going to be compelling. So let's make sure that we reinvest in, in the way that we go to market and create an aura around radio that's going to start attracting the best recruits. And then I, I want to end with, with the first kind of public enunciation of something that's, that I've been trying to formulate for some time now. And really just it's the beginning of what I hope will be a subsequent uh, meeting should people in the industry be interested. But we've had, you know, on our radio stations that I've noticed, um, on other radio stations and certainly through social media, South Africa is more divided than it's ever been. From a, and it's a social media phenomenon that I, that I spoke about before. It's why Brexit happened. It's how Trump is in power. It's, you know, all of these factors have created divisions and, and, uh, and, and more separateness, if you like, on a global level. But in South Africa, I think that we've seen that there's, there's a lot of conversations that, that are now starting to be had um, through social media and a lot of conversations that are being actively avoided that need to be had. And, and I refer specifically to issues of race. Um, and, and it got me thinking, there's people who, who are custodians of airwaves. 
as people who are effectively in control of one of the most effective means to access the South African population, what are we doing, whether we're commercial or public or community, what are we doing to further these kind of conversations? And when we retire, will we have made the most effective use of our privilege in order to be custodians of these public airwaves during our time um, at these radio stations? And so what I'm start, I want to plant the seed around an initiative where with no direct commercial benefit or no independent brand that's going to be aligned with any media house, is there a way that we as commercial, public, and community broadcasters can recognize, firstly, that conversations, I, I say race, maybe there's other, other issues that, that people might, might find more pressing, and that's, that's part of the conversation. Are there ways that we can apportion, apportion of, our, of our airtime and not presume to be the experts on how to, on how to guide and control that narrative, but create a brain's trust of people who are? and effectively give them the opportunity to utilize our airwaves to start having the conversations that are necessary for South Africa to, to go forward. The reason I mention in the context of today's presentation is because it's another collaboration opportunity. It's something that, 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 that when I look at the racial division that happened over the Tumi Meraki situation at Jacaranda, when I look at the issues we had at East Coast with Fat Joe, and you see the comments on Facebook, and they are, they're, they're, they're cringeworthy. But what's clear is that we're all talking to our own constituencies. The conversations that we can have with the Jacaranda audiences um, are different from the conversations that Eusebius is having on 702. And we're all talking to our own constituencies, but we're not looking at this audience holistically and coming up with ways to drive campaigns that can start to engage the constituents of one radio station with the constituents of another in a way that's going to be compelling and it's actually going to work. I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm not the academic. This is not a Heineken ad where, you know, where you're going to get a whole lot of like, a cute narrative with a whole lot of people sharing stories. But maybe, maybe that's the first step. I don't know. I don't presume to be the expert. But what I'm saying, and I guess what I'm challenging other broadcasters to do is, can we start a conversation where, apart from all the other good work that we are doing, whether we're public or whether commercial or community, I'm not saying that we stop doing any of the things we currently are. But is there a way that we can start to come together around apportioning some of this, these, um, uh, this airtime on public frequencies that we are all custodians of for the tenure of our careers and, and give it into the control of a, of a small but, but credible brains trust who can start thinking about how they can utilize that, that, that airtime in order to get South Africa in whatever cause we believe is most worthy from A to B. So I'm going to leave it there. My time is up. Um, I guess we've got time for questions, do we? Unfortunately okay. not. Um, if, okay, should we? Squeezing one or two. Okay, three max. Quick question, nice and succinct, please. Okay, I'll go this way and that way. Nick, um, all the stuff you said, uh, as a practitioner in radio, agree with. My, my issue is that shouldn't we have to realign the organizations internally? For example, we've seen money thrown left, right, and center at these digital strategies that haven't got any ROI. You know, should we not have asked ourselves what's our purpose in the life of the listener before we even embark in any strategies? Uh, short answer is yes. I think we, we're all learning a lot of lessons. I think mostly, you know, radio is a simple business. We find out what our listeners like and then we give it to them, right? And... And we, again, I think one of the consequences, and we're guilty of it too, we underinvest in research. Um, but at the same time, it's also research is not a, 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 an exact science. You know, we're going to, uh, as 
Steve Jobs' old quote is like, sometimes people don't know what they want until you give it to them. So in the digital space, I think, I think there is going to be and will need to be a level of experimentation and we'll just have to make sure that we're maybe borrowing from our digital counterparts and doing much more lean um, rollouts of things so that we're, we're limiting the amount of expenditure on those kind of things so that we can, we can make sure that we are um, uh, building around what markets are responding to rather than what we think is cool. So I agree with you. Thanks, Nick. Just one quick question. Uh, you know, the theoretical model, we're talking about key truths. Don't you think there's something flawed with that theoretical model when it comes to training of advertising people? I find it's very Eurocentric. Training of advertising people. You, you find that the training is Eurocentric or the, or the my viewers? I'm I think it's Eurocentric in its training. You know, so we find that they don't understand the industry. Yes. So people who come in there don't really understand. And uh, we find, especially with us as community radio stations, yes. we don't understand who we are and what our needs are. And I think that's a problem. Um, can I please interject? Yes. Because of time that is uh, against us, can you please uh, perhaps engage with Nick directly in terms of this question? Unfortunately, we are profusely out of time. I really apologize. Thank you so much, okay. Nick, for a wonderful presentation. Um, thank yes, thank you. Uh,